പോളണ്ടിൽ എന്ത് സംഭവിച്ചു പോളണ്ടിനെ പറ്റി നീ ഒരക്ഷരം മിണ്ടരുത് Hi, Harsha. So we're back today with the last of our exploration into supernatural films in Malayalam cinema. You know, we, we started off just talking about these two movies starring Jomo in the Sundan Janagi Kuti and Mail Pili Kava. And then we added on a more recent film because, you know, we in the meantime, Catherine has been doing some research about Yekshis. Can you tell us <laughs> what you've learned? <laughs> Actually, it's quite interesting because... it's one of those moments where as an outsider to the culture you think you understand something but it's something that is so ingrained in a culture that it's obvious to those in the culture and not obvious so what i was searching for was movies with yakshis and i was getting you know yakshi forever yours whatever that one is that terrible film and and the ones that have yakshi in the title are actually usually not really great films and we both of us realized that i was missing out on yakshis in films where they weren't expressly telling me that hey these are yakshis like in um manichitatara yeah so now that you've kind of corrected me on that now i've seen yakshis everywhere Yeah, I didn't not realize you didn't realize that was like that was considered a yakshi film. No, I I had no clue because it says nothing in there anywhere and every time I go looking for yakshi films, it doesn't come up, which is which is really interesting for me and I think that's, you know, for for people who are not of your culture, that may be the same thing they hit too. So we're doing a service for people. And you've sent me a bunch of films. I haven't had a chance to really had a look look at them yet, but I will, and I'll put some of those in the show notes as well to to broaden the types of films that people want to look at if this is the thing they want to look for. But to be honest, like the two Jomo films, I wouldn't have had a clue that these were yakshi films. I will get to my Pilikava later, but that I would consider a reincarnation film. Um, more than a yakshi film but the in this on the janaki kuti is definitely a yakshi film and you, yeah. the other thing that um, maybe i also had not made a connection to you sent me a short film called yakshi on youtube which is where i made the connection that yakshi and chadels were the same thing <laughs> because i you know in when you hear the word chadel in hindi films it's always translated as witch but you realize oh they pretty much have the same characteristics except for like the turned feet which is i think is like only a chudel thing yep. and and you use yakshi and chudel as like a way to curse a woman like oh my god that she's such a shrew she's a, she's a yakshi or a, she's a chudel is something both cultures have in common because i used to think yakshi was only a kerala and specifically a southern kerala but you realize that that figure kind of especially that vengeful female spirit figure it has a very close sim- similarity in northern indian culture um but you know that kind of figure exists throughout uh supernatural stories across the world and and you know she's just maybe the manifestation in in this particular region yeah and i was and i was doing the same thing like i very blinkered specific thing i was searching for and i i should have been widening the circle but but they, i try to justify it by the fact that that horror and supernatural is really not my wheelhouse so i'm kind of a beginner in here anyway but yeah i mean a, a really interesting lesson on how you can miss things particularly as an outsider to a culture so we're here to correct a little bit of that this episode <laughs> Yeah, which of our uh, films today do you want to talk about? Well, let's talk about the one that specifically features the yakshi since we're talking about them. And that would be in this one then Janagi Kuti um from 1998. 1998 uh with Jomol. It has a bunch of marquee names associated with it. It's an empty script and it's it's uh directed by Hariharan, you know, they're they're the team behind Udvarakan Viragada, Parshi Raja, and uh, some of these big movies that you think of when you think of very literary, dense Malayalam films. Yeah, and just as an aside, this is yet another example of, you know, S-Cube having 
the rights to a lot of really excellent films. And I'm going to beg, please put subtitles, because it's going to take me a while with my, my language learning classes to get this far. So, and then that's where you'll find, you know, the films we've been talking about is on the SQB YouTube channel, and I'll link to that for people. Oh, and I'm going to mention spoilers, spoilers, because, you know, obviously we do that all the time. That's correct. You want to give a description of this film that we're going to talk about? It's about a um, young woman who is uh, living with her extended family in what is what is a trope now that that uh, Maya movie watchers will know in her traditional Tarawada. If you haven't picked up on it, Catherine, you, you know, it's very much a matrilineal uh, Tarawada and... Uh, you did pick up on it. Yes. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm picking up on, see, it's, uh, step by step, I'm picking up on these things. So, because we've talked about this a, a lot and uh, some discussions about matrilineality as as well elsewhere other than on the podcast too. So that's that's a thing that I've also been getting some better information about. But yes, it is it is fairly obvious in this film that it's, it's a matrilineal extended family. Right. And I picked, I picked up on that even without subtitles because, again, I am watching this one without subtitles. That is awesome. Yeah, I was wondering about that because there's a lot of dialogue in there hinting at it. But, you know, how what what did you see that made you think that? Well, I mean, first of all, it's a household full of a lot of women. So there's clue number one. And, you know, women of various ages, but several women at one age, several young women at, at an age. So, you know, my connection was, okay, some of these are mothers, some of these are aunts, some of these are nieces, some of these are daughters. So, you know, you can, you can sort of see by looking at the, at the, the group of women and the ages and the cluster of ages in this household. And because, like, why would they be living together as a group like that otherwise? Right. And I don't know if you picked up on the fact that the grandmother is not actually Janaki's actual grandmother. She's her grandmother's older sister who's kind of fallen out with her own children. So she comes to say with her nieces. Okay, no, that that I wouldn't. And I and I was confused for a little bit about who she was because, yeah, I, I was a little confused about who she was because I thought maybe she's just an older woman who's with the family or... But Janaki calls her... Amuma. Yeah, she calls her Mutashi or Amuma. What, what, Mutashi. 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 So, that, uh, yeah, she calls her Mutashi because, you know, all of the sisters' kids uh, basically treat their mother's sisters as kind of interchangeable mothers because, you know, at a, at a certain time, they would have all been living in the same household. And then, you know... They call her Valiema, which means older mother, and they would call their mother's younger sister Kunyama, which is, means younger mother. And that's still the words we use for her mm. aunts today. So, yes, it's very matrilineal. There's one male figure coming in there to complain about the fact that this old woman fought with her kids and now she's coming to stay with us. He's what would be called the Sambandakari, which is like the son, which is the son in law that marries into the family. So, he might have complaints about this old woman coming to stay with them, but clearly it's their matrilineal traditions call for the fact that they take care of her. Yep. And so Janagi Kuti is going through uh, adolescence and, you know, she's developing her first crush, but she's very awkward and she doesn't seem to have a lot in common with the other young females around her. And she really bonds with this great aunt of hers. She, you know, she she hears all the stories that I think we we've come to expect in Malayalam movies that about yakshis and about forbidden places and, and the uh, stories that you know kind of get passed on from generation to generation. And Janagikuti starts meeting this woman in the woods who we're led to believe is is some sort of supernatural entity because she comes only when when. You know, Janik Kuti is there by herself and Janik Kuti has a crush on somebody uh, who is around the family, distantly related, unclear at this time. And, you know, the the woman, Kunyatol, played by Janjil, she she's kind of scheming to get Janik Kuti what she wants. Now, this young man that she's interested in 
is secretly having a relationship with, now, I wasn't clear whether it was Janiki's sister or one of her cousins. It's one of her cousins. Okay, that was my guess, but, you know, no subtitles, so. Yeah, and and I don't know if it's necessarily a huge delineation, because, again, we're talking about maternal cousins, so they might as well be sisters in this context. And part of what prompts the kind of stress or distress that Janiki goes through is discovering that the guy she has a crush on is involved with this cousin. So we're kind of set up for her going through this adolescent crisis with her first crush, coupled with the grandmother telling her stories about Yakshi. And she gives her a book or or she has a book about Yakshi stories at some point. Yeah, you know, you would assume as as a kind of young woman in this part of the world, growing up in this very traditional family, just like Ganga's character in Manichitataya, you know, it's adolescence and kind of the stress of it that that um, is triggering this relationship or mental breakdown, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and it's and it's. I actually saw one description of this film when I was trying to search out plot and and some more information about it. That said that it's like the own or the first Malayalam film dealing with schizophrenia. And I'm thinking I'm not sure that's what's going on in this film. Once I learned about what poltergeists were, it seemed like this was her uh, manifestation of a poltergeist because poltergeists always show up in homes with adolescents and especially young women and they tend to you know cause a lot of chaos i mean it's resolved once the kid is sort of past a certain age because they're mentally a little bit more stable and so so you can think of kunyatol as a a poltergeist (laughs) instead of a vampire in this context even though she has some vampiric features yeah particularly at one point in the film yeah she has canines, uh, like really long canines uh, that, you know, come out when she's ready to attack. And, and that, that which is one of like the more scary moments of this yeah. film. This is yeah. not a scary film. This is very much psychological. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the thing that is connecting particularly the three films, at least two of the films that we're looking at today is this. How does like a person's psychological outlook how does stress affect them and how that gets manifested as some kind of supernatural vision because there's there are points in this film where other members of the family sort of catch Janaki apparently talking to herself or laughing to herself when what she's imagining is that she's talking to the yakshi and to be honest i'm I'm still not sure if this is 100% supposed to be just in her head um, or if only she can see the yaksha. While I don't actually believe in ghosts, I do like the idea of a poltergeist as something that is an external manifestation of somebody's distress or calling something out of the environment because of their own distress. So in movies, I'm very, very open to that interpretation that something can both be in somebody's head and also actually supernatural. Well, and particularly what I like about this film too, you know, again, going going back to the films that come up kind of obviously when I searched for Yakshis, those Yakshis are more, you know, vengeful women, women who prey on men. There's often a very sexual undertone, sometimes undertone, sometimes very overt. And this is not the case here. I mean, she is a vengeful woman because of an an event that apparently happened in her life and she is now manifested as a yakshi. But what she does is show up when Janaki needs her. So like, this is your idea, like the poltergeist, like there's there, there is a need for Janaki to be to have this support of whatever this is. Yeah, I think that's Probably why, as a Yekshi film, this really stands out to me. Yes, there's a little bit of a romance element, but it's never given a lot of weight. It's only given a lot of weight because of how Janaki feels towards this guy and about, you know, sort of her cousin's relationship with him. He does not have a lot of personality. He's extremely the object of her desires. 
But that's what it's like for an adolescent girl who is just having this first crush. And it's like, you know, it's an overwhelming emotion where you're sucked into it. And sometimes you're you're projecting things on this object of your affection that don't exist at all. And she gives a lot of meaning, like right near the beginning of the film, he gives her a Cadbury chocolate bar. <laughs> and, you know, she takes it out of the wrapper and she sort of smells it. And then she puts it in a box of treasures. So it's like, like he, he, he has no clue that this is how she feels. But this is, uh, this is sort of all encompassing for her. And that's a very typical experience for a young girl. Yeah, the way he overlooks her and kind of gives her a chocolate bar as a kid. Like, here, let me give this kid a chocolate bar. And it becomes this whole blown up thing in her mind. You know, uh, you really emphasize Janikuti's isolation because she doesn't have anybody to kind of tell her, hey, (laughs) he's not actually into you. And to point out, like, the very obvious things that are going on around her, because she she's very, uh, and as I said, she's very isolated. Yep. And and her central relationship is with her elderly great aunt, as well as her vampire friend, and her vampire friend's friend, who is Neely. And so there's such a, like, strong female central relationship in this that, even in other movies with matrilineal households, with yekshis, with young women who have some sort of connection to a supernatural spirit, we don't necessarily see it emphasized in the same way. And I think this this movie really stands out because of, of that core female relationship. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really loved about it and why I was so frustrated about the lack of subtitles, because... It's a film, because of all those things you've just mentioned, it's a film that I would love to say to people, look at this, look how female-centered this is, and what a great film it is. And Jomo actually won a special mention at the National Awards for this film. And it's like, it's so frustrating for me that we have this great film that does does this, and particularly at a time, you know, what did we say, 90, 98 or? 98, yeah. 98. So Raleigh shot in 97. Yeah, I mean, a t- from a time where we don't expect that kind of thing in films, necessarily. And, you know, film is an industry that tends to be very male-centered anyway, so, you know, but yeah, I, I'm so frustrated that this film is is sitting there and has such good things that we can say about it, and, you know, it ends up being, it ends up being overlooked except for people who can access access it in their language or who, you know, are crazy like me and are willing to take the time and are lucky enough to have someone like you to help with some explanations around it. In a lot of ways, I think of both this and Nandanam as very similar movies. Yes. Because of their connections to a supernatural entity, the relative loneliness, you know, they're surrounded by all these quote-unquote chattering women <laughs> and who they have who they can only turn for, to for solace at this time is, you know, this supernatural entity that might or might not be in their own mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's actually a very good connection. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, yes. Um, so, yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out is Nidi, the, char- the character who's sort of a friend to Cunyato, is, is a very popular and identifiable Yekshi character in Malayalam folklore. So anybody who kind of encountered her in that in this movie would would already be very deeply familiar with her as as a Yekshi figure. And so I think what is the movie is kind of doing is saying that, you know, Jani Kuti, as somebody who's very familiar with this lore, is kind of pulling in all these other details that that she knows about Yekshis to create this very vibrant inner life. I don't know if this was clear in some of the, uh, if you watch it on YouTube, but when I remember watching this on VHS, it was, the the movie is very muted in color. Yes. Um, and, but except when, you know, a lot of the time she spends with Cunyato. Cunyato especially is this sort of glowing, beautiful figure. Like her white is so luminescent compared to, and, and I also watched this on YouTube, so it wasn't very clear. <laughs> watching it on YouTube, but this is from memory uh, that I'm saying that, you know, her hair is luminescent, her sari is luminescent. 
So she's this um, extremely vibrant part of Jani uh, Yukuti's imagination in this very dull life otherwise. Yeah, and that's why that's why I sort of hesitated a bit when when all this talk about schizophrenia and this and I think your interpretation is more accurate than that. It is, you know, a lonely, isolated adolescent reaching in for a very vibrant inner life to help her navigate what she's going through. I I see it as much more positive and something that that will help her you know, like the poltergeist, when she doesn't need it anymore, or she's grown up enough to not need it, she won't, she it, it will, won't be there anymore. It's clear from my kind of growing up, where we immigrated when I was 12. So I was really lonely as a teenager, that getting internet hyperfixations was a way of coping with it. This is a Janikikuti's hyperfixation yeah. is, is Yekshi's and, and sort of the mythology around them. And so it seems it seems very natural and beautiful and organic to me. As I said, not at all scary, unlike a lot of other movies. I don't find it threatening. And I wonder if the reason I don't find it threatening at all is because MD is not framing this as, oh, women, what do they get up to in their minds? <laughs> but like, you know, the way, way we see Ganga's connection to... Nagavali, you know, because she's an adult at that point, her hyperfixation is kind of worrisome for for the characters in the movie. But all I, I think the fact that like this very strong connection is not depicted as a negative for the young person is probably why it's not threatening. And I, I think we once again go back to how it's not just female sexuality, it's also female bonding that is threatening to a patriarchal culture. Yep. And, and this movie kind of stands out to me as not portraying it as a threatening. Yeah, I would agree with you. Absolutely. I, I really love this movie, despite my lack of subtitles. Like I just, I really liked this movie a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, if you want to see a happy Yekshi movie, this would be the one. I mean, there is, there are, uh, you know, sort of a thread of sadness in, in the fact that Kunyo Tol has, has this tragic life story. And I, I, you can see why it would really appeal. This kind of tragic figure would really appeal to a teenager. Yeah. Well, and, you know, teenagers today are still doing these kind of things, but with different, they're accessing different stories yeah. in different ways. But you see the same kind of like parasocial relationships that they set up and the same kind of hyperfixation on on things that manifests itself today. So, you know, like, this this film just taps into it in a different way. Yeah, I, I'm glad we I was able to get to this point in what I was thinking because I always thought of this movie as very pleasant to watch and uh, and extremely relatable. And I you know it's only with talking to you that I realized oh it's because it's like a teenage hyperfixation <laughs> and and she she's like you know connecting telling her problems to this this extremely empathetic figure all she wants to do is help her figure out this teenager's life problems when you know if she was a you know kind of actual ghost with her own agenda she would be out there murdering people yeah and there's there is a little moment where where the sister gets married where the yakshi i mean that's where the moment where we see her get very sort of intense and the incisors come out and yeah. nothing happens in that moment but you can see that it's a moment that for the yakshi is because because it relates to her own incident and how mm-hmm. you know how her life ended up being so tragic the other interesting thing that i f- they found was at one at, right near the end it's also the grandmother figure who is part of Janaki's imagination as well right near the end of the film so it's kind Mm -hmm. of interesting for me that at the end she's kind of bookended because we we don't realize it until a little bit later but the grandmother has died while they're at the wedding and I mean that's that's at least what I'm getting out of subtitles because she the 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 wedding goes on and I don't know why they don't want Janaki there the grand the grandmother has had a fall or something and she's in bed and 
Janaki is not is not coming to the wedding, and I and I didn't know if it was because they wanted her to stay back with the grandmother, or because she had caused some issues around the arrangements for for the wedding, and or and or because she's been behaving what as they see a little strangely, they don't want her there to upset anything, and she goes in and she's sort of trying to shake the grandmother, shake the grandmother, and nothing is she's not responsive. And at that point, I was going, oh, she's died. But then suddenly uh-huh. her, her eyes flash open and she literally runs to the wedding, which she couldn't have done. Right, right. And Janaki runs after her and they turn up and the Yakshi is there and the three of them watch the wedding together. That makes sense. And I had um, assumed that, you know, sort of the reason the family didn't want her there was because she was being a little erratic yep. from their point of view. The other thing is Kunyato being a, a vessel for uh, Janagi Kuti to find a lot of empathy for, for her cousin and, and see that her cousin is being really put through something that's deeply unfair. And even yeah. though it kind of clears the way for her with her crush, uh, it, it, is, it is really tragic in its own way. Well, and at one point, Janaki tries to help she delivers a message and it's like she has she has reached the point where she's accepted that the object of her crush isn't interested in her and she takes a step back and tries to help her cousin but it doesn't work yeah and it's a huge part of her growing up through this movie we really do see her mature accept things and kind of you know yes things might you know be a little cinematic at the end where where the crush likes her back or whatever but that, I always took that to be a little bit of, you know, cinema needing some sort of bow tie at the end, uh, like a bow at the end. But I had always assumed that uh, she would have just moved on from her crush. I assume her crush would be heartbroken and that she's learned to accept that as an adult, you don't always get the things you want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I got from it until the bow tie moment at the end. I mean. You know, it's, I guess it's nice that she gets what she wants because we like her. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love this film. I love it so much. So should we turn to the next Jamal film? Yes. And that is My Pilika, which is a much, much more mainstream film than In the Sundan Janagi Kuti. I'm thinking if she did the these two movies back to back, I have a feeling she did them back to back. Oh, actually, my Kava came out first. Okay, but but they both came out in eight, in eighty ninety eight. So yeah, she, they would have been filmed very close to each other. And I had always assumed that they they cast her in my Kava because she started off in this kind of supernatural realm, and they they kind of liked her for that kind of role. Except she plays a very different character. She plays the typical kind of mainstream heroine with like a gaggle of young kids around her constantly and to be honest i don't like jomo in those kind of roles jomo is amazing in movies where she has to be a little awkward and outcast like in niram she she genuinely seems to be like have no idea how to get in with the group <laughs> i i find her very enjoyable in those kind of roles in this it's it's like they wrote a, a role for shalini and yes yeah that 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 is what it felt like, and you know, paired against Kunjako Boban, that would make sense. Um, maybe Shalini wasn't available. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this the, the almost there's almost like uh, in Anyati Prava there's almost the same kind of setup with like uh, a bunch of gaggle of kids constantly following her around and her you know singing songs and having a great time. Okay, let's summarize the movie. It's about Kunjako Boban and Shalini who are. They might be cousins. I don't know. I would never want to say they're cousins, but like there's a good chance they might be cousins who end up at the same house. Uh, you know, I guess they're staying there for vacation and uh, they're both having dreams about uh, a person coming to kill them or memories of a past life. And they slowly discover that they were lovers in in a past life and they were she was murdered. He was framed for the murder by a person who wanted her and he's now out to get them in this life and it's a reincarnation story 
Yeah, and the the other people involved in this story are still alive and in the household. And there are, there are some deceptions around who it is, because it really is a bit of a twist at the end when we discover who actually was involved in this. Yep, and Tilligan kind of plays the same kind of character he plays in Manichitatara. Well, and, and I, did, I did think that this film was like a cousin to that film in some ways. You know, this you know, traditional household with lots of people in the household and things are happening and there's sort of a mystery and a supernatural thing going on. So there are some parallels with those, like they're from the same family, this, this, these two films. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these movies you'll find are from the same family. If they're made for a uh, mainstream audience, then, you know, you'll, you'll get the big household with a bunch of comedy uncles and a bunch of gaggle of tiny cousins. And young Manjima Mohan plays one of the tiny gaggle of cousins. <laughs> she, she was in another movie with Kunjako Bobin around the same time. She was like always playing like a little cousin to him or like a little niece to him in these movies. So I hope she never stars opposite him. <laughs> We've seen some of that in Bollywood. Was yeah. It with, with, was it with Akshay Kumar? You know, people who had been little children in some of his earlier films are now his heroines. It's like, yeah. oh dear, let's not go there, folks. I mean, with the guy we don't talk about and um, was a young girl. Namita Pramod. We've seen yeah. that already. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he who shall not be named. Be hashtag named. problematic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I liked this film. It was fun to watch. It, you know, I liked the sort of connections I could make to other films. I was surprised by Tilikan. Because I guess because I was expecting, because it's a similar character to Manichi Tatara, I was expecting his character to be like that. Um, I've already said we're going to have spoilers because it's Tilikan's character who is the one who murdered her and framed her. Uh, Kanchako Bobin's previous incarnation. As, as a young man. Yep. Yeah, I, you know, in a lot of these movies, actually a lot of the movies I sent you, you kind of begin to see that a lot of the same actors end up getting yep. cast in similar roles in these Yakshi movies. And, and, you know, we're supposed to pull from our historical cinema knowledge to be like, this is the kind of person this care, uh, yeah. this actor is going to play. And you you make that assumption with Dilligan. I had completely forgotten about the twist, okay? So I was like, oh, they really just did take get Dilligan from central casting for this role. And then, no, plot twist at the end. He's a murderer. <laughs> Which actually I thought was I thought was great because I, like I'm like you. I came into it not having seen it before. I came into it thinking... Okay, same character. And I was convinced that because the, the character that they both have dreams about, I had just assumed, okay, this is, they're going to find out that it was him eventually. Nobody knows, but he's still in the household. Mm -hmm. But it turned out it wasn't him. So yeah. I went, oh, okay, thank you for that. <laughs> you, you went a little farther with, with this and did a little extra and I appreciated that. I always think it's funny when like somebody it's been like 50 years since somebody has the same hairstyle though. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I was thinking, wait, you're dreaming about this guy and he looks almost the same just with more gray hair. Yeah. Like you're not making the connection, the cinematic connection that he has this, <laughs> he would have kept the same hairstyle for 50 years. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I mean with with Tilikan it is it is well, I guess it Anyway, <laughs> he's just yeah. balder. Yeah, <laughs> balder and older. But with yeah. that, but that hairstyle is so distinctive. Yes, it's yes. like some somewhere along the way, somebody has to connect with this. And actually, Ustad Hotel like somehow also managed to kind of find the same kind of actor to play the like. It's a, he has a very specific. He's just got this like very thick body with like very curly hair. That I'm always interested when they find these younger actors to play him. Yeah, yep. If you've ever seen Atonement, they gave Bryony as an adult the exact same ugly little bob, bob haircut that um, they gave her as a Saoirse Ronan as a young child. I was like, there's no way this woman kept the same haircut for 15 years, let alone 50 years. <laughs> 
Well, and one of the examples I can think of is from K-dramas, is Boys Over Flowers, where the lead, Yimin Ho, has this atrocious hairstyle. They call it a, 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 a croissant, but it's like these big curls. Uh-huh. And then they have flashbacks to when the, the four young men are little boys. And he's very, this poor little child has the same hair, hair and it's like, oh, dear. I don't know why movies that are like otherwise pretty complex think that people will not recognize the character if we don't give them the same haircut. Again, going back to uh, Atonement, it's Fiercia Ronan, Ramala Gurray, and Vanessa Redgrave, a very old woman with the same silly ass haircut that she had as a child. <laughs> I guess it. I guess it makes it easier to keep characters straight or something. I guess that might be. I'm being generous. That might be the thinking. It might just have been easier to. <laughs> On the other hand, uh, you know, to argue a little bit the other side, for us as a viewer, the minute we see this man in the dreams and out of the dreams, we make the connection, oh, it must be him. So we're set up to assume that, and then the twist ends up being a little more impactful when we discover it's not him. Yeah, it's a good feint. I I really do enjoy the, the, I really do enjoy the twist at the end. I also enjoy the songs they're very yes. good and 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 the um sort of background track it, it really does build up a kind of sense of spookiness to the movie well and the and the 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 backstory flashbacks are like in black and white and in sepia like they they really make a distinction to make them look visually distinct from the rest of the film yeah i uh, this movie again you Watching it in YouTube, you don't necessarily get the same effect. But it's it's very colorful, uh, almost kind of the opposite of in the Sundan Jani Kuti. It's 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 constantly popping with color, and maybe you know it's because this is a mainstream movie compared to in the Sundan Jani Kuti. You know, it's popping with color. Obviously, the gaggle of little cousins and fun music. Uh, so it's a very mainstream movie, and very accessible to even a young person compared to Manchester which was really scary. Uh, this movie has creepy bits to it and you know but there's but there's also a, a sort of a murder mystery <laughs> element to it that's very I almost think of like Paro. You're tying together hints and the couple in the middle in the center of the story is, is trying to figure out who it could be. Jomo is not a I, I, I mean, except for in this one, Johnny Kuti, she's not great, like, lead heroine material, in my opinion. But the fact that she is surrounded, that she's opposite Conchaco Bobin, so there is some focus on him, and that she is surrounded, like, by a big cast, I think helps to let her be more integrated into this film, despite all of that. Mm-hmm. And I do think she's better sort of in the past, the flashbacks, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I always I find their brown face very distracting. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, they're both wearing brown face, and he is wearing like a tightly curled hair. Yeah. Um, and I I don't really understand because like why 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 did somebody in the past have to be? I mean, especially if this person was kind of their relative. Why, why did they have to be darker skinned? And why did they have to have a completely different hair texture? Yeah, I guess I guess the only thing I can say is to differentiate them from their present incarnations, which maybe is not a great excuse. But yeah, somebody maybe went, oh, we have to we have to make it clear that they're different. So the guy we're supposed to think is the murderer gets to keep his but the two leads have to be differentiated have to be like blacked up and uh she gets to keep nice her hair is like long and straight and because her hair is like curly in the present time yeah Yeah, there's there's some stylistic choices i find very suspicious in this movie but but you know generally again as as kind of a cousin to manichi tatara it, it, it is an interesting film to watch from that perspective. Yeah. Can you remind me if there were any of the sort of yakshi bits that we discussed? Is there any trees? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a there's a um, a serpent shrine. But that doesn't necessarily mean yakshi, though. 
No, 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 no. But I'm saying in term in terms of any kind of connection to anything, there's a serpent because because they find a ring. Yes, there. And and a kava is is sort of um, it's again like a it's like a grove. It's a, tr- a bunch of trees, and in the middle there's a grove, and you know there's often a, a shrine in the middle. And typically for snakes, this in this case the title just refers to the fact that the shrine is also covered with. Uh, peacock feathers yep so th- i guess that must be where a bunch of peacocks hang out as well and and so the yeah the, just because we went through like a yakshi checklist last time <laughs> <laughs> we didn't find any yakshis in this right there was no um long hair woman with long hair hanging over and white saris those are some of the things to look yep. out for as we, we said and any mention of men being left with just their Nails and their teeth, <laughs> which you didn't watch the subtitles, so you wouldn't have picked up on that. No, but but as you mentioned, definitely a reincarnation revenge kind of huh. movie. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got yakshis on the brain, so I'm seeing them everywhere, even where they aren't. We need to make a, a we need in the notes. We need to put a yakshi checklist. Okay. <laughs> So I guess we can move on to the last film, which is the more recent film. Yeah, Buddha Gotham with Devati and Shane Negum. And it came out in 2022. 2022. 2022. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and I know it's streaming on Sony Live, but in June 2022, you find I just we just found out this as I was looking for this movie. The Indian government stopped any VPN servers in being used in India, so I could not get this movie. I couldn't even get the Sony Love app on my computer uh, with a VPN. So that has, because India has a little fascism going on these days. That <laughs> yeah, so, Sony Live is very locked down too. Yeah. And I think I had, I ha- I've seen it a couple of times because I have it here, but I, I'm, so I'm guessing that it's licensed here in Canada and not in the US. But yeah, and it's um, yeah, one of the reasons I got the Sony Live app is because they are carrying some really good films and some good series. So hopefully for you know people in the U.S. that will be an option at some point because I don't know why they wouldn't be in the U.S. when they're in Canada. But yeah. you know, there we yeah. are. So Buddha Galam, do you want to take? Uh, do you want to give the plot summary? Yeah, since I have seen this with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> we only risk me rambling a little telling the story. So it's the story of Asha, played by Revati, and her son, Vinu, played by Shane Nigam. And it opens with they are taking care of her elderly mother, who is ill and being cared for at home. But very soon after that, the mother slash grandmother passes away. And then strange things start happening in their household. She's a school teacher. And he is trained as a pharmacist, but he had to pass up on a job because it was away from home and she needed him there to help her take care of the the mother slash grandmother. She suffers from depression. And during the course of the film, we see her sort of seeking treatment for that. And he sort of suffers from the stresses of being unemployed and, you know, living in this household with his mother and he has insomnia he has insomnia so there's a question of and and he drinks so there's a question of is he you know an alcoholic is he drinking too much and it's stressing him out or is he you know stressed because he is an insomniac and he's not getting any sleep and that leads to him seeing hallucinations or visions they discover though they they I don't, I don't know the connection of it's one of the relatives of Asha, and I don't know if it's her brother or. Yeah, I thought it was just a family friend because he refers to her in a way that that makes me think he's not a relative. Like he has no power over the family. He's just, you know, kind of a well wisher. Okay, but he calls in George, played by Sajakura, who is a counselor, who comes in to talk to Vinu and try to get get him some help. And and Vino is very resistant to this because he believes he's seeing something in the house and that nobody believes him. So it ends up 
I had to actually go and, you know, and kind of look this up because the, the term that came to me is French, folie deux, which is kind of a madness shared by two people. Here, let me find my notes here. A shared psychotic disorder is kind of how that would be in, in medical language. Mm-hmm. So there's some question at some point of whether there's kind of, because both of them are very stressed and have different manifestations of how they're handling that stress, there's some question of whether they're both seeing something about whether they're inf- one is influencing the other. But at one point, George turns up to see Vino and neither of them is home. And he talks to a neighbor who says something about something, you know, terrible happened in the house and the house is troubled. And he does. He, I have a little problem with this character because as a counselor, he when he when he starts investigating what happens, it it scares him a bit and it puts him off, and he doesn't want to counsel. You know, he doesn't want to deal with this house. And his wife says to him, "Why don't you look for the truth behind this?" So he starts investigating and discovers that the original owners of the house were a man and his wife and child, and the man killed his wife and child, and then self-harmed. And they're all dead. And then the house has been rented out to a series of people who have things happen to them. More more uh, suicide attempts. Yeah. So there is obviously something going on in relation to this house, but it isn't really clear. One of the things I liked about this film is Vino has a girlfriend and in the scenes where he's with her, everything is bright. Everything is really well lit. Uh, he goes to her sister's birthday party and the house is like full of people. And it's so bright and it's like sunshine. But the house he lives in with his mother, it's so dark. There's just the two of them and it's very dark and oppressive. So we've got something going on here with the cinematography that, that is kind of showing that this these two people and their relationship is very uh, very claustrophobic yeah so and that's where we get the idea like is there something going on or are they influencing each other and actually the the house itself is like is one of the things that i really wanted to talk about because you know it's giving a the the timeline the movie gives is that a man killed his wife and child like six to seven years ago and he actually built the house for when they got married. Except this house is looks very old. It's in. It looks like it was built in the seventies or eighties because it's even the style of it is very dated. And and it just looks like it's not been kept up at yeah. all. Because um, if you were, you know, you might have seen some of these, you know, in in life or in movies, you might have seen what movies in the 80s look like and this is what those houses look like except houses that were built you know at most in the 2000s which is where when this man who killed his family uh, would have built the house they didn't look like this house so it's a very out of fashion and it's a little I I couldn't tell if it was intentional uh, because they couldn't find a new house that was that was poorly kept up like this house or, or um, you know, it, it is meant to evoke something older. But yeah, there's paint peeling off the wall. Yep. There's a grime everywhere. Like everything has, it has a little bit, you know, there's like um, scud marks and, and scuff marks. I'm sorry. You know, there's buildup on the walls. It's like nobody has taken care of it. And the house is like a manifestation of somebody's depression. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the house in itself is a, is a character in the film. And as you said, it's very poorly lit. The There's a strong enmeshment between the mother and son. And they can't stand each other, but neither of them can really stand to be apart from each other as well. He's trying to pull away, but his mom keeps kind of reeling back in because she's widowed. She's a little bit isolated because she had lost her mother and it seems like she was really close to her mother. By the way, grandmother is played by the same actress who, by the same actress. I was, I had watched, I watched the two films back to back and I went, hang on, and went and looked her up and went, yes, it's the same actress in both films. She's been playing a grandmother for like (laughs) all her life, basically. (laughs) You know, you first wonder, hey, 
Is is it the grandmother who's kind of haunting the house because she died? Yes. Because everything starts up just after she dies. Yeah. But it seems like a, a part of it is that the mom is very enmeshed with the grandmother and, and has a hard time letting her go, even though she was very ill and needed a lot of help with her activities of daily living. But her mom, his mom is up every night crying. And obviously he is not able to sleep because of this. And I guess she must not be sleeping either uh, if she's crying all night. And so a lot of the stuff that happens and, and, you know, unlike his mother, who is actually taking antidepressants, he's self-medicating with alcohol, cigarettes. And, and so he, he's not able to, you know, if he's the first person who is manifesting these ideas or uh, these hallucinations, then it's, uh, it kind of makes sense. It's him first rather than the mom who is significantly sadder. Yeah, I had, I mean, Revity won a, an award for this, at well-deserved. Oh, yeah, this is so well-acted. Oh, the scenes there together, they're just playing off each other, but also just go, uh, giving each other back and forth. The, yeah, it's amazing because this could be a play, just, just the two of them in that house. Yeah. Well, and I want to call out Shane Nigam too, because I don't think enough attention is being given to, to him in this role. And it is very much a two-hander between the two of them. I could connect with the two of them equally, both of them, you know, in distress and in pain in very different ways. And I just like, I had a hard time watching this film because they were so good. It was genuinely painful to watch. Unlike yeah. both these other films that we talked about, their relationship felt so lived in with its resentments yep. and and uh, disappointments and, and just, you know, his desire to be away from her, but her desire to keep him close so that she could make sure he didn't, both because she she's afraid he's going to, I don't know, become like his father or whatever that means, and also because she's so afraid of being alone. Which is very understandable. That I think that was the thing that, that I could really connect with and, and which hurt a lot to watch, is that you can understand both of these people and you can understand both of the pain they're going through. And you can understand how you get into these cycles where you can't break out of it. And he wants out. He he wants to find a good job, but he can't do it if he stays. And she's adamant that he needs to stay. And he says, well, okay, well, I'll get this hotel job, but we didn't spend the money to educate you for that. And it's just this sort of endless spiral of them, you know, dancing around the things that hurt them. Yeah, as you said, it is hurtful to watch because... It makes me think of so many people at this stage of, you know, sort of Vedati's life where we're talking about, you know, in my people I know personally, it's, you know, where your parents are aging or they're passing away and your kids are no longer children. So you they don't really need you as much. You don't need to live for them as much. They're emerging into adulthood, but, you know, they're not quite like flown the nest yet. So and you want to pull them back, but you, you also, you know, want them to be yep. starting their life, but you, you don't want to let them go to start their life. And it's, and you know, they're, you know, once they start their life, once they, you know, meet somebody, their weddings and their grandkids, and, you know, there's all sorts of things after that, but it's this kind of period in the life of like, he's just done with college and, she, you know, she's lost her mom. And it's that period is so rife with pain for, I think, parent yep. and child. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I think maybe because we this is a more contemporary film, there's a lot more to dig into for me and you, probably. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things like, you know, caring for aged parents, because I'm, I'm dealing with that right now. And the time and energy it takes, and it's exhausting for, you know, someone. And she ends up having to be taken extended leave from her teaching job because she's she's unable really to function appropriately as a teacher, which isolates her even more. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like my heart kind of broke then because it's the right decision for an institution to make. Mm -hmm. And yet... Because she's with, dealing with very young children and she's yeah. not paying attention. Yeah. And, it, and at one point, you know... She her injures a child. Accidentally, but... It's still because she's not paying attention and she's stressed and cannot cope with what young children do. 
which is be noisy and playful and, you know, but it's, you know, but then, you know, she's sort of left with even more nothing at that point. And, you know, she's seeing a doctor and she walks in one day and the doctor's been transferred. And it's like, I, you know, I, you, remedy makes you feel that. And she just walks out, she gets up and she walks out. And it's like, yeah, I probably would do the same thing if I had no warning. And I didn't have a lot of skills to, to cope with how distressed I am. And yet it's also the worst thing she could do. Yeah, it's like, a, you know, she just cannot, she's like barely keeping it together with her yep. routine and with going to therapy and with, you know, and then like one thing goes off and then she like just falls apart because she just cannot cope. And then, you know, the, the counselor also kind of disappoints her because, yep. you know, he's like scared of the house because he's been warned off. I actually thought there was going to be like a whole thing where like he does what Dr. Sunny does in much of the thyroid. And I was like, I cannot deal with this right now. This man is like, there's so much tension happening in this household. I need to figure out, I need to spend more time with them. I can't go to this man like doing supernatural stuff or, uh, and, and, you know, like doing exorcisms. No. And in the end, he ends up being just one more disappointment in a series of disappointments and losses for them yeah which uh, you know thank thankfully they didn't go the dr sunny route the other thing is that you know you, in this household you know if you think of like mom and son as sort of like in their own little bubble you you see people knocking at that bubble trying to get them out you see you see the the principal kind of hey I'm trying to like throw you a like a, a life raft. You have to pick it up. You, you see yeah. the girlfriend, uh, Vinu's girlfriend, doing the same thing, being like, "Just because you don't feel like it doesn't mean you can you can stop talking to me." Because isolation at that time is the worst thing possible. Yeah. You see the family friend doing the same thing, right? Reaching out, and you see the neighbor because when she didn't see her son that one morning, she makes sure he's around still. Like she makes sure that nobody's yep. killed themselves in the house. There's all these sort of caring people around them, but they just cannot let them break their like trauma bonded uh, bubble. No, and that's very realistic too, because it's really hard for, for people going through these things who are, you know, shutting themselves down and closing themselves in. The more they do that, the harder it is to accept that help. And she sees it as... It, it makes her annoyed because she's she's not able to judge the response from people at that point. Yeah, there's a lot of shame that this, yep. you know, that they're both going through this. And when the, the neighbor checks in on her, she has this like kind of nervous smile on her face where she's asking this question. And I think in, in other movies that could have been like, oh, this is the nosy neighbor trying to figure out what, like, you know, trying to invade on their lives. But when you pull back in the context of this, these two characters, it's actually somebody checking in, making sure that they're okay. And, the, and Asha's response to this is, shut the window, shut yes. the doors, pull the curtains, keep everybody out. Yeah, I, I was like, whoa. Like, she just doesn't want to let people in to see this. I, I just, I mean, I loved this film in different ways, but it is not a fun watch. It is not. It, it is really, well, it has a happy ending, sort of. Or a, a happier resolution, maybe. It doesn't feel happy for me because it ends with the thought that what are the next people who live in this house? Yes, that's true. Because the, the, the point is at the end, they go, they go through this experience um, over the dinner table near the end of the film where the two of them are experiencing the same visions hallucinations whatever they are seeing they're both seeing it and they manage to get out of the house and the next thing you know they're moving out and it's much brighter um, mm -hmm. you know it's much more brightly lit right at that moment too I think that's why I felt it was more hopeful but you're right if this is a house where there are a series of things that happen to many different people you're right, the, the potential is there for, for something very frightening to happen to the next people who rent the house. The story I kept coming back to was The Haunting of Hell House, mm. which is, if you haven't seen, it's, uh, it's part of the, 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 you know, there's a content 
Mike Flanagan, who is a, uh, he, every Halloween at this point, he releases a series on Netflix. So there's The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, Midnight Mass. He, he's kind of the horror name at this point. Um, and The Haunting of Hill House is based on a Shirley Jackson novel. And there is, there is a room in this house, in that house, which becomes like whatever the person kind of wants and needs at that time. It's kind of like the Harry Potter room of requirement, except twisted. And so the house is slowly digesting the people who live in it until, you know, they kill themselves, they kill other people. Uh, but it's also, it's, it's not clear it's the house. It could also just be the family because the family has a lot of trauma and, and each kid kind of manifests the trauma in different ways. So it could be about multi-generational trauma. It could be about a haunted house. This is very much yeah. one of those, it could be either way stories. And, and there's other, um, in the, the way that we see the outlines uh, at, right at the climax point of the movie, where there's multiple kind of shadowy figures walking in. I also thought of Hereditary, which is one of those movies where it's definitely something supernatural rather than, you know, it could be either way. So both of those were stuff that came to mind. It's very unlike most Indian supernatural movies. Yes. Yeah. It definitely felt very, um, very Western in the way it, it conceived of the supernatural. And as a supernatural, I guess I'm a fan now. I don't know. I used to be really scared to watch scary movies, but every Halloween, I'm just knee deep in scary movies now. <laughs> well, I like... Like of the uh, one of the reasons I like this, I was a little, um, I had a little bit of trepidation when we started in this series because I have said this is not necessarily my wheelhouse. But what I do like are films that are more psychological, that are more about you know folk tales, folklore, or psychology all around that. And you may have some jump scares, but they're not necessarily very violent films or mm -hmm. not entirely. So that's like that kind of horror where, you know, it's a lot of killing and slashing and blood and violence. That is not for me at all. Yeah, I, I don't think we make a lot of that in the Indian film industry. It's, it's just, we don't have a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, there is violence in some of these films. There is definitely, I mean, and there are hints of violence in some of these films. But for the most part, it's this very uh, it's unsettling it's you know what is going on what is what is the what is the psychological background for this or what is the you know what are the stories that come out that cause these things to happen so these are you know these are the kinds of films that really do appeal to me not something i want to watch i mean you know um something like buddhakalam is a very hard watch very good film very hard watch so I wouldn't make a reg regular diet of that, but occasionally mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting to go in and, and ponder, and maybe this is how we can sum up a little bit, ponder what these things represent and you know, particularly what they represent in Kerala. In general, when I think of horror movies, I, I don't know, we're just move, moving a little bit away from that supernatural theme. It's not just about the supernatural. Um, it's specifically about the emotion of fear when I think about that, I often come back to The Haunting of Hill House and The Turn of the Screw and some of these other, I guess, Western canon stories. And what about them makes it so scary for me is not the supernatural. I'm not, I don't believe in the supernatural, but it's the, uh, the, the, the supernatural manifestation of, of our disturbed minds. And, and that is what is so often so sad. Yeah. And, and even if there is such a thing as ghosts, what I feel sad about is not that, what I feel scared about is not that they're, they're that they exist or that, you know, they're out to get me or whatever. What exists to me is that there is something that has unsettled you for so long, for eternity, that you keep coming back, that you keep revisiting that trauma. That is what is scary to me. And, yeah. and, and in, in, especially in Budagalan, that is what is frightening. In, in the Sundanjani, you could be, as I said, it's a poltergeist, so it's there's a period of her life where it'll be this will be in the past. It, she, it is not something she's going to keep revisiting. Is at least how I perceived it, and so that's that. That's that's what's creepy and scary for me. 
And maybe that's not Kerala-centric, but, you know, we see it in a more traditional setup, the manifestation of, of you know, sort of a disturbed mind versus... I'm not, I'm not even going to call Jenny disturbed. She's just a kid yep. going through it, like learning to be an adult. Versus, you know, in, in these kind of scenarios where she's isolated, she's not with an extended family. So, so she has these care duties that, that maybe a whole group of people would have done at a certain point. And in the, instead, she and her son are isolated. So you're, you're kind of seeing the more, as, as individuals become more nuclear in their family setup, you're seeing more of the problems that you would see in a Western movie. I mean, one of the things that has struck me over the whole series is the contrast between traditional stories and modernity. Because we, I mean, even in a film like Money to Trot, we see that as well. Because you have Suresh Gopi's character who doesn't, who doesn't believe in all of this stuff and, you know, is very modern and scientific. So you see these, these things butt up against each other in a lot of films. But the, but the idea of these, you know, traditional, oh, and, and of, you know, the, the idea of faith versus science. Because even in Buddha Kalam, there there's some of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whether it, whether you believe in, like, something is happening supernaturally or not. Or, you know, contrasted with the need for a counselor, the need for medication, uh, uh, you know, Vino needs to sleep. That's That's all he needs. So there, like, there's all these competing things, ideas, and and the it's funny because the family friend has no belief in the supernatural, but the the therapist, the counselor does. Yeah, yeah, and so it's interesting how it how it plays and how it how it comes out. I mean, I I was going to say that you know try to figure out which film really stands out for me here, but I think that's impossible because they've all been very different kind of movies. Yeah. Even when we're talking about Yakshi movies, they've been very different and they've approached the supernatural in very different ways. Yep. I mean, I think the, out of these, this group, the only disappointing one was, was the Santo Shivan movie. Oh yeah. And in the bathroom, that was the only really disappointing one. I, I enjoyed all of these. I mean, it might be just because this is a genre I enjoy, but it was fun to see how each of these movies approached that which cannot be explained. I think I would like to see what a modern Yakshi movie looks like. And there was an attempt with Agam, but it, was, uh, it wasn't very satisfactory. And I can make some comparisons to Agam and this movie in that there's two people in relative isolation kind of going through it. But um, again, the uh, Buddha Agam had much more interiority in that relationship versus Agam. So um, I guess that's something I would like to see a modern Yakshi movie and hope we get that with uh... Ashikabu. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, I'm excited for that. So let's hope he doesn't disappoint us. He's good on uh, vibes, <laughs> which is what a good, a, good, a good horror movie needs. A lot of atmospheric tension. So where we're going next? We are hopefully going to talk about the sea and what Malayalam movie's relationship to the sea. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you later, Catherine. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Poland and Empathy podcast. If you like what you're hearing, remember to come back for our next episode and share our podcast with your friends. If you'd like to connect with us, you can email us at polandidapati at gmail.com or reach out to us on our Twitter feed at polandidapati. See you next time.